You're listening to GBA's audio education series with me, Tiffany Voorhees. And me, Ryan White. This series came about when we discovered some really great audio education content on the geoprofessional.org website, known as GBA. Since Ryan and I are members of GBA and both part of their podcast committee, we quickly realized that this content needed to be shared via podcast. The content we found was designed for one-on-one listening by field representatives and as material to spur discussion during formal training sessions. GBA uses dramatization and professional actors to set the scene for situations you will encounter in the field. But wait, there's more. Tackling topics like effective report writing or duty of care can be... A little boring? (sighs) Yes, but let's not get too punny. While GBA did a great job of telling engaging stories around these tough topics, Ryan and I add some personal lessons learned from each of our many years of experience in the industry, both as field reps and technical leaders. That makes us sound old. Well... What's this episode called? Oh. Who's on first? That really got annoying to me. All right. Don't tell anymore because they haven't heard it yet. Okay. Yeah. I think it's effective report writing. So what's up? How you been? I mean, it was, I would say, an average week. Not, nothing too big. Nothing too low. Well, are we going to actually talk about this episode today or are we just going to keep going? Well, I think... You're asking more questions, avoiding it, because so far this was your least favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Like all of them, I think there's a lot of good information there, and I'll be curious to hear what your takeaways were. Um, I definitely have some stories related to to reporting and documentation. Should we let them listen to it? Yeah, do it, because I loved it. This was my favorite so far and not yours, so I think the listeners should pick sides and Tell us their love-hate. Either you're voting for Tiffany and love it or Ryan and hate it. I don't hate so harsh words. Oh, I'm sorry. Strongly dislikes. There you go. (laughs) All right. Here we go. There's a trick to effective reporting. And it's been used for hundreds of years. All good journalists use it to make sure their reports are complete. And field representatives are reporters. To be effective, they need to learn the trick, too. It's not that hard. In fact, it can actually make reporting well a lot easier, as both Tyler and Tyler's daughter Corey learned, thanks to Charlie Terrain. Hey, Tyler, how you doing? Just great, Charlie, just great. Well, whatever it is, how about sharing some of it? Well, actually, Charlie, it's something I got from you. Hey, if I had something that made me that happy, there's no way I'd share it. Well, you did. What? Nope. What? No, but you're close. Hey, uh, Tyler... You are familiar with the substance abuse policy of this firm, aren't you? Hey, Charlie, come on now. Well, then would you please tell me what's going on? It's not just what, Charlie. It's who, when, where, how, and why, too. What? Hold on. Tyler, explain. Who, what, when, where, how, and why. You know, the six basics of good reporting. You taught me. Okay, so what? So what? Do you know how big a difference that's made in my dailies? In my other reports? I sure do. They're good. You're doing much better. I know. Thank you. You're welcome. But what does that have to do with your state of complete giddiness? Giddiness? 
Hey, I like that word. Can I use it? Only in your reports. I arrived at the site in a state of utmost giddiness. Now you cut that out, Tyler. The least you owe me is an explanation. That I do, Mr. Terrain. That I do. It happened last week when Corey started school. Sixth grade? Seventh, old man. Where have you been? Time, Tyler. Time. It goes by in a rocket ship. I know. So? So, the first assignment Corey gets for English is to write a composition about the best time I had last summer. Okay. So, she's complaining about the assignment and how long it's going to take, because it has to be at least two pages. You know, you've been there. Oh, indeed I have been. So, Carol says to her, You know, Corey, Daddy does a lot of writing. Maybe he can help. Well, this comes as total news to her. She doesn't picture Daddy as much of a writer. So, I guess she figures she'll humor me. And Mom she comes says you write a lot at work. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Sure I do. Why? Well, I have this essay I've got to write on the most fun I had this summer. And when was it? Remember when we did that carnival for MS? Sure. And I was the baker. The barker. The carny barker. Right, the barker. And I put on the derby hat and the mustache, and I was selling tickets to try to hit the bullseye, and Miss Dougherty would fall into the water. That was the most fun? Oh, yeah. We raised over $1,000, and I really got to know Miss Dougherty. She's really fun. Good. But I don't know where to start. Okay. Let me help you. I don't want you to write it for me. Have no fear, sweetheart. I am not going to write it for you. Okay. You need to start wherever you feel comfortable starting. What? That's right. You don't have to start at the beginning, especially because you haven't written yet what you want to write. So you're not even sure what the beginning is. That sounds weird. But it's true. I guess. Look, you can start in the middle, then write the ending, then write the beginning, and then put stuff in between. When you hand in the final report, no one's going to know where you started, only if the whole thing makes sense, right? Yeah. So, just start where it's easiest. Maybe it'll be with a description of Miss Doherty, or maybe with a description of some of the kids you helped. Whatever. Then you can move ahead in time, or back in time, wherever you want to go, and then piece it all together. Hey, Daddy, you're right. That'll work. Wow, what a great idea. I can do that. I know just where to start. Great, but there's a lot more to it. I'm going to give you the secret how to do a really good report. Really? Daddy, I'm just so proud of you. Well, I haven't told you the secret yet. What is it? What's part of it? What? That's right. Daddy, now you're getting really weird again. The secret is six words. Who, what, where, when, how, and why. I don't get it. Well, start with who. Who are you going to write about? Oh, I get it. Well, I'll write about Miss Dougherty. Anyone else? Oh, and, um, Mr. and Mrs. Goodman and their daughter, Amy. She's my friend. I know Amy. Her mom has MS. Oh, I didn't know that. That's a shame. She's so nice. What a shame. Anyone else? Oh, and Mr. Kerrigan. But you haven't really answered the who question because so many questions are unanswered. What do you mean? I don't get it. Okay. Who is Miss Doherty? My sixth grade homeroom teacher. And? She's very nice. I know that, but what's her first name? Oh, Anne. And is it Miss or Mrs.? Miss, but she's engaged. So when you say Miss Doherty, you could say Anne Doherty, my sixth grade homeroom teacher at? Cooper Middle School. Excellent. I don't have to say that every time, do I? No, just once, when you introduce her. And can I provide those kind of details when I talk about other people, too? Sure, that's exactly what I do. When I do a report, I always give a person's full name, the person's title, and who the person works for. 
Then I just refer to the person by the person's initials, usually. What about your what's? Well, there's a carnival. That's a what. What else? MS. I could write down about what MS is. It's terrible, Daddy. I know, sweetheart. We have good health, and that's something always to be thankful for. I know. What about your attraction? I could describe the booth and how it all worked. That's right. I could go back to the who's, too, and talk a little bit about who showed up. That was you, Daddy. Aww. And Mommy, and how Mommy made my outfit. That's a how and a what. What kind of what's do you write about? Well, I write about the kinds of tests I perform and the kinds of observations I make and the kind of work being done. And when I answer a what, I can ask another what to make sure my answer is complete. And then I can ask other questions, too. Like where? Where did we have the carnival? Sure. And where the booth was and where Cooper is. And you could. And where the Goodmans were and where you were and how Miss Dougherty. Well, that's a how. You have to wait for the hows. Wow, this is so cool. You know, sometimes when I do a where, I use a map or a site map, it's called, to show specifically where certain things happened. Or I'll refer to coordinates. I could do that. I could get a map of the city. I could get it from the Internet. And then I could do the map of the fairgrounds and draw that. Wow, this is so cool. And people would know exactly where you're referring to without making any mistakes or having to guess. What about when? When we held the carnival. Uh, and when we counted the money. That was great. And how about when I first met Miss Dowry? Okay. And? And when I first met Amy Goodman and I first met her mom. And maybe when I went to the assembly and they talked about MS and they talked about community service. That's great, honey. And hows. I could talk about how the dunking machine worked, how I got people to buy tickets, how wet Miss Dowry got, how MS works, how it just goes into your body and does terrible things to your muscles, and how they're doing research, and how Jerry Lewis got involved. These are just... What kinds of hows do you write about, Daddy? Well, I just ask the question to myself the same way you are right now about anything. Like, how are the constructors doing what they're supposed to do? Are they doing it properly? Are they meeting specifications? Do they have a good attitude? I mean, you can apply it to almost any verb. Verb? What do you mean? Okay, suppose I say, Corey ran. Uh-huh. How? Quickly? Gracefully? Clumsily? How about, Corey ran like a cross between a beautiful gazelle... And? And a turtle. Daddy! But do you see how to do it? I still have one question left. Why? Why did you get involved? Because I wanted to help. Why did you become the Carney Barker? Because it seemed like it would be fun. Why did you become such a fan of Miss Dowdy? Because she's kind and caring, and because she wants to do something good for the community. Because she's nice. And why are you such a sweetheart? Because I'm your daughter and Mommy's daughter. Daddy, this is so great. I'm going to go write my report now. And so? Well, she got a report back yesterday. It was eight pages long. Eight? Eight. I said to her, Corey, eight pages? And she said, Daddy, it was so easy. I just asked myself questions, and all I had to do was write the answers. And when I had to go back and redo this or that or write this or that, it was so easy. Thank you so much. So what'd you get for a grade? You are not going to believe this. What? The teacher gave her an A+. Plus. Wow. And you know what she said? Not Miss Darty. No, come on. This is a moment of pride here. Okay, so what'd the teacher say? She said, I wish I had a grade higher than A-plus to give you because this paper is worth it. This is the best paper I have ever had any 7th grader ever write. Wow. And Corey thinks that her dad must be the greatest writer in the world. She says she wants to see what I write. She says that who, what, where, when, how, and why are the most important words she ever learned. 
Then I showed her how, when you think you're done, you ask the questions one more time in each sentence, just like you taught me, Charlie. And she did it until she wrote everything down she could think of. I'm just so proud of her, Charlie. That is so great, Tyler. Wow. What'd she say when you told her I taught you all that? What? I said, what'd she say when you told her that Uncle Charlie was the guy who taught you who, what, when, where, why, and how? Who? Uncle Charlie. When? What do you mean, when? Didn't you tell her that? Why? I tell you, Tyler, you have a 30-second head start. Hey, take it easy. I don't want you having a heart attack. I figure you got a lot more to teach me. Why? Because you... Oh, no, you don't. I'm not going there. Where? Hey, 20 seconds. You know, there's something about effective reporting Charlie didn't mention. What's that? If it isn't in writing, it didn't happen. It's one thing to know how to report, and it's another to actually do it. Getting into the habit of writing things down and applying who, what, when, where, how, and why, that's what good reporting is all about. I bet it's mentioned in the next program. What? If it isn't in writing, it didn't happen. Why? Well, Charlie will be talking to Tyler about personal diplomacy. Where? At Wanda's. When? Now. Hey, Ryan. What's up, Tiffany? Before we start bantering about this episode, I figure we should probably tell everybody what GBA is. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. You have to tell them what GBA stands for, because it's a mouthful. Come on, Geoprovisional. See, I can't even say it. Geoprofessional Business Association isn't that hard to say. See, you almost stumbled there, didn't you? I totally did stumble. <laughs> and I think Geoprofessionals is probably something people don't know what that means. But if you're in geotechnical engineering, environmental services, COMET, GBA is something where you can get a lot out of it. But what is that? What is a lot? What What do you get from GBA, Tiffany? It's a bunch of professionals really willing to share their stories and their resources so that we can all make each other better in the industry. That was kind of foreign to me when I got exposed to it. Yeah, I had heard about GBA, but until I really got engaged and involved on committees, I didn't appreciate everything that GBA had to offer. And for me, the interaction that you talked about, making connections with other professionals in your field um, across the U.S., has been something that to me is probably more valuable even than everything else GBA provides. For sure. That's where we met. See, GBA is awesome just for that. But where you really, really get the best from GBA is by becoming a member firm, attending conferences and networking with your peers. So that's what I love about it personally. And it's not just geoprofessionals because like we've mentioned, I don't have anything to do with dirt. So we're going on and on about GBA. Yes, we love it. Learn more at their website, geoprofessional.org. But how about we jump into our opinions on this particular episode now? Sounds good. Let's do it. Where do you want to start with this one? Because I got all kinds of thoughts and I did reflect on the who, what, when, where, how, and why. And initially I thought, well, I get what they're saying, but that's kind of silly for our field. It's not like we're writing a novel, right? But when I actually jotted those down and thought about it, I'm like, gosh, we need at least five of the six in every report. Yeah. And to be honest, I, I hadn't even thought of report writing. And I guess when we're saying reports now, can we differentiate that this this would be more of a field report related to a construction observation type site visit. This wouldn't be like an engineering report, right? 
Right. That's where I went. Well, and I don't know what engineering report means in your world. I'm assuming that's where you've done some tests and then you analyze it back in the office and then a bunch of smart people say, here's, you know, what we should say and talk about our data and draw some conclusions of what should happen. I'm assuming that's what you mean in your world. And in my world, that type of report would be we went out and did, you know, four or five days of people crawling through conveyors at an automotive plant. And now we've got all this data and we write and tell them what places of the line need to be repaired or replaced. So is that what you mean? We're not getting into that depth? Yeah. I, I mean, you, you summed up, you know, my life's work in about uh, one minute there pretty well. <laughs> no, but yeah, for us, you know, we have, we have sort of the two sides. We have the design, and I should say in geotech, design reports. You know, we do go out and do explorations, collect samples for lab testing. Yeah, do the analyses, provide recommendations. Then there's the construction side where we're making observations of what the contractor's doing, comparing that to the recommendations we made in the report and what's documented in the specs to make sure they're doing that right. And that's what this is talking about based on some of the previous episodes is, you know, construction observation, what is the critical or important information you need to include from your site visits. Yeah, I agree. And my sense of this whole series is that it's more geared toward newer field staff and learning some of the basics and the intro to the industry. So that's the way I looked at it as well. This is going to be a short two, three paragraphs, max maybe of a couple pages. You did a, you were out there for one day primarily. And how do you convey that information in a report, right? Yeah, I, I guess it was kind of confusing with the whole daughter writing the report thing, because that made me think of something in a little more long form when, you know, when we're talking about site visit reports, like you said, it's a, it's a page or two of observations and test results. And I guess I had never really thought about those in terms of sort of the, the journalistic who, what, when, why, where, but they definitely drove that home. And it's, it's kind of made me think about how we write our reports and trying to capture all that. I think that's a very simple way to sum that up for younger staff. And I think that's really what they were, were emphasizing. I actually jotted some notes and some thoughts about each of those categories and where in my world those would come into play. So what if I just share those with you one at a time and then you add from your perspective and your field what that would mean? Sounds good. So the who, right? When he was talking about that, I'm like, yeah, whatever. But then I got to thinking, okay, well, first, who went on site? You got to first say that you were actually on the site. Then there's the who did we talk to? And that's really important because were you out there kind of doing this by yourself or did you specifically talk to somebody and they directed you to a certain area? And then in the end, I like to say, who did we relay our findings to? So you want to wrap it up with, especially if there's something bad or something out of spec, you got to say that you told somebody or what the next action is. So from this, I thought there were some great points. We definitely have to mention people in there, state some who's and state their title, not like that they're a PE. I mean, you of course could, but was this the engineer? Was it the foreman, the superintendent? What company were they with? Those things are all important to paint the picture of who showed you the area or directed you on what to do and what their role was. Yeah. And I think the title is is one thing we're probably less consistent about. We'll differentiate if it was the general contractor or earthwork contractor, but that was a good point and a good takeaway. 
The other thing that we document in terms of who is who requested that we come out, and this might be different in different industries too, but for us, we may get a call about a project from the general contractor or maybe directly from the earthwork contractor. And we're typically under contract with the owner. So for us, it's important to document who called us out there. I think ultimately the owner and our client's going to want to see who's making those calls. But otherwise, I completely agree with all your who observations. Who called us out there? Who did we meet with on site? And then who did we talk to about the results of what we were observing before we left? Part of the who called us out there also tied in with the why. So when we get to the why, I'll push you for some more examples because that's really what I had on the why was basically who requested us in any special inspections. That, so actually, let's just go into that one right now. So what did what were your takeaways from the why it's one thing when you're doing a giant report like you talked about right you're going to be talking about whether they're going to build x type of building and that's the background so you state the why there but for some of these field visits a lot of times it's just because it's required so the why didn't stand out to me as much here do you have any good thoughts on that i agree with that for us the why is always directly tied to the specifications they are required to have us out at specific times. And I think that's important because we're acting as the engineer of record for the project. And the caveat to that is that we get to see all these specific things during construction to make sure it's consistent with what we recommended and what's in the specification. So although it's kind of a small part of the report to a certain extent, I mean, usually for us, it's a, a sentence right after who, who asked us to come out there, what, what we were looking at. And then it's all documentation. But I think that's one of the more important things, because if, if we don't get called to look at a particular item that's supposed to be looked at, I mean, that's important information for people to know. So making sure you document why you're out there in terms of what you were there to look at, I think is one of the more important things. Honestly, I don't know if any of these are more important than the others. The more we talk about it, the more important I think each of these items are. But that's to me, is one of the bigger ones is the why are you out here in the first place? Okay, I gotta I gotta task you for a second then, because I kind of had that under the what. The why was really the one that I'm struggling with. Why do we have to say why? So do you have an example of what a why would be in your report? I mean, I've got examples, of course. Okay, so one time I sent a CWI out to review the welding in an elevator shaft. And the why specifically was we were requested to do a rush review because this building wanted certificate of occupancy. And this was the last thing that needed to be reviewed before they could install the elevator. That's a very clear why. But in general, I don't feel like there are a lot of whys. It's just, I mean, the why is because it's required. It's a code thing or it's a spec thing. So we just have to be here. Yeah. The why and the what, I guess, are very similar. I mean, the why is why did you come out here? And then the what is sort of what you actually did, I guess, is the only differentiation. So collectively between us, we've probably got, gosh, what, 40 years in this industry? Yeah. <laughs> and we even struggle a little bit with some of these. So that tells you this is not an easy job doing field reports and you understand why people get frustrated with it. See, if I thought about this in advance and you can cut this out, um, there is a field documentation, uh, I don't remember what they call it, practice document or something model model daily field report i guess for for geotech and they have one for environmental so that's something that we 
use and kind of refer back to. And I, I haven't looked at it. I kind of wish I would have done it before this, but to see if they differentiate the who, uh, what, when, why, and all that. So I might look at that while we're while we're talking here. I'm not cutting this out because you got to link that in the show notes. That's awesome. I want to see it. So the what that one. Okay. Absolutely. You got to say what you're there to do. What tests did you perform? What observations did we make? I mean, the, what is the basis of the report, right? You're basically making the case for even having had a presence out there. So the, what seemed to be a no brainer, right? Yeah, I guess I had, trouble differentiating what and why but is the what what we looked at is or is the what the result or is it both don't go who's on first again <laughs> i have no idea just get it all in there kids that's what we're talking about yeah that's why i really want to, to look at this model document to see if they they actually broke that out or differentiated that somehow but i think if you're thinking about it as much as we are you're going to get all the required information in there, whether it's a why or a what almost doesn't matter as long as you have all of the pieces of what you need to include. Absolutely. The why, once I kind of penciled this out and thought through it, the why to me is the one that I could live without. If if our field staff get the five other things, my proposal should have done a good job of saying why we're doing our reviews. So I, I think if anything slides in my mind currently, I'm okay with why going. So the next one was when. That's, of course, important, right? Date, obviously important, and that should be on everybody's reports. Half the time, it's even just in the header. And then sometimes the time of day. One story always comes back to me when I was younger and doing field reviews. I mean, I was younger yesterday, so whatever that mm. means. But when I was first getting started in coatings inspection and doing field reviews, I was doing a tank. So this is at a refinery, giant 200 foot diameter tank, and we're lining the inside of it and it takes a few weeks to get it done. They have to abrasive blast, clean the surface. They've got dehumidifiers running the whole time. The air is conditioned. This thing is probably a million dollar paint job. And it's my job to keep checking it every day. And I, you know, I was trained to put the times like you took these readings, put down the time, took these readings later, put down the time. I also left what's called a data logger in there that recorded all the conditions overnight and probably thought it was all a little bit of overkill. But my notes saved the project because between my notes of when my last readings were and my first readings the next morning on one particular day, then going back and looking at the data logger, we were able to save a whole ton of money. So what happened is during the night, one of the dehumidifiers ran out of diesel mm -hmm. and everything shut off. So we get there in the morning and we're like, oh my gosh, this is a very specific coating. If it gets out of condition and gets too cold for a while, it's not going to cure properly and reheating it will not let it cure properly. We would literally have had to abrasive blast, remove everything, reclean, start over at least that section. So looking at my time frames, pulling up the data loggers, we were able to see that the temperatures did start to drop around 1 a.m. But between what I had before and the next morning, the company that manufactured the paint came in and said, we'll still honor your warranty because we feel that it was warm enough to cure. So 
timing and things like that can be very important. In that instance, I can see where that would be really critical for some of what you do. It's important for our reports. I keep referring to our reports when I say that. I guess I'm talking about geotech. That's sort of my frame of reference. But the day and time is important, you know, when it comes to soil and things like that's the criticality. Is that a word? Of the timing, like you emphasize, is probably less critical. But for us, it's definitely, you know, what days were you out there? as it relates to activities and work that's occurring at the site. So yeah, for us, that's one of the first things we put in the header is when, when we're out there, when, when did we arrive? When did we leave? Because that relates directly to the work that's, that's happening out there on site. For us too, it's not only important to relate that to what we saw and what was going on, but also what we didn't see. When were we not there? You know, did things happen that we can't be held responsible for because we weren't there? We were only there for a short period of time and requested for a specific thing. So for us, it's saying we were called at this time to look at this and here are the results. I think that's as important to differentiate from what you didn't see as to what you did see. Definitely. And I think the difference is, in my case, I was a pretty new field reviewer, and those things were critical. In yours, it's not as critical. So I think that ties into our last episode where know and understand what your tests are for, ask questions, and really get into the details so that, you know, oh, hey, I need to get one last set of readings before I leave because, you know, something could happen overnight. Or is that not even important at all? I don't need to say the time of day I was here. I just need to say the day. I think that's right. I always tell folks it's it's better to have too much information when it comes to observations like this. And we can always talk about whether it's necessary to include that when they're preparing their report. But I would rather have people collect all this information in the field. That's something we should differentiate is you may collect a lot of detailed information that doesn't go in your reports, but it's to support the preparation for that. So yeah, some level of detail collecting more information than you think you need, what you emphasize, because you might need it all. So you just said I nailed it? You did. Great job. (laughs) Great job. You're hired. Sweet. How about the where? That one, I mean, to us seems more than obvious, but I do think that that's one thing that newer field staff tend to forget and it sometimes takes a while to click where is starts as simple as the site list that i was at the x site or the b site or whatever that site is named but then you also got to get into like you know if the building's going up were you working on the third floor or in your case there, there could be totally different areas of the site and you have to be specific about that so that everything's really tied back properly so In your world, what are the types of things you guys would report as far as where? You touched on it, and it's where are we at on the site? You know, there could be multiple buildings. There could be no buildings at the time. It could be related to site grading. And sometimes for us, it's difficult based on the level of control they have on the site. We're out there pretty early. And so for us, a site sketch becomes critical for the where. So we always document on a site plan where we observed what, just to clarify, because sometimes saying in words, we're in the southwest corner of the site's not particularly clear, but describing it in words can be difficult if you're on a large site with maybe multiple structures and things like that. So for us, the site plan or a sketch that clearly delineates where we are is is what's most important, I think. I can really see for you where that would be critical because Not only do you have floors you're dealing with, you have multiple pieces of machinery. You could have the same piece of machinery 
at multiple locations in a site. So differentiating that, I could see being very important. It would make all the difference in what you're recommending. Yeah, definitely. So let's say it's weld inspection. We're we're checking bolts and welds for a structure that's going up. It's very important to say, are you talking about the plan view level two? Are you talking about the steel that supports level two? Are you talking about the steel that you see when you're standing on level two and you look up at level three? Those things clarity is critical. And then, you know, the next thing that ties in for us, we also do the fireproofing reviews on those things. So on one floor, a very similar piece of steel in one location might require a two hour rating where it requires a one hour rating on the floor below it. And that can be drastically different thicknesses that are required. So being very clear And saying in your report, no, I reviewed it on this floor, looking up at that floor. It was this beam between these columns. That is going to cover us later when somebody says, hey, does this one have the right fireproofing? And what did you check it to? Did you really check it to one hour rating or two hour rating? So those things are critical. Do you guys use photographs a lot? I think this is a place that photographs play a big role for us. If you ever sort of lack clarity in your description of where you were in terms of displaying that on a site plan or site sketch, photographs have been critical. And with the current technology, it's so easy to drop a photo into your DFR to help clarify that. seems like that's something you guys would or could use a lot. So I will come back to that. But one, I have to derail. And I presume DFR is your daily field report because I've never heard that before. I didn't even realize I said that, but yeah, daily field report, right? All right. Yeah, we don't have that acronym at all, but I kind of like it. I might steal that one. Yes, we use a lot of photos. And when I say we, that's some of us and not all of us, I will say the best inspectors take photos. And they also don't call themselves inspectors because that can get you in trouble. So that's a taboo word that'll come out later in another podcast. It was a slip up. But I'd say the best field reviewers take photos, whether you always include them or not, having them is important. So sometimes we take photos of what we saw, the fireproofing example, right? There are a couple different main kinds. There's SFRM that looks like oatmeal, and then there's intumescent. Let's say we're talking about there were knockoffs of the SFRM. That means chunks are missing. We would take some photos to show where it's at and help direct them easily to it for the repairs. We would also potentially take a photo of the drawings where we mark up the location as well. So we do that kind of stuff a lot. But anything that the field reviewer can do to really make that easy and paint a picture is huge. So you're, you're absolutely right. Photos are great. So the last one is the how. And if we're talking important, I think this is one of the most important things because This is, you know, how did you do your test or how did you make your observations? Let's say, you know, in my world, we do bridge reviews. Were you standing on the embankment looking up at a bridge that's super far away? Were you in a bucket truck and you're right up close and personal and this is hands-on detail and measurements? So I think the how can go in so many directions and it also applies to the test. Sometimes you need to restate how you performed your test, not just ASTM 1234. We can read it and see what 1234 means, but you should restate 
some of the things that you did so that if anybody questions it, they can look at it and say, okay, here, what you said you did does comply with ASTM 1234. So that makes sense. What are your thoughts on the how? When you first said how, I was trying to think, quote, how it would apply to what we do. And you framed it really well. For us, it is always referring back to the specs, but we might have a sort of non-standard test. I think everyone does proof rolls, which is essentially driving a piece of equipment around and looking to see if the ground below it deflects, right? So as you can imagine on construction sites, the equipment available varies. It also varies depending on what kind of access you have to that area. If you have a pad that's confined, it's you're not going to get a big piece of machinery in there. So for us, how we did that's important just because it can be done so many different ways. If it's something like nuclear density testing, that follows a pretty common standard. And so there are things that you document like depth, the proctor you used, but proof roll is one that can vary widely. So documenting what type of truck, you know, what kind of load, even the, that, you know, is it a dual axle? Did it have dual tires or single tires on those axles can all kind of relate to what your observations were. So that's one particular area, I guess, that I can see how being important, but I guess the way you described it, I see it being even more critical for what you're doing. Well, you brought up a couple really good points that I want to go back to. One, you mentioned Proctor, but it made me think of equipment and noting the piece of equipment because say you find out later that you were swapping equipment with other people and one of them at one point is out of calibration. You need to trace back to all the jobs that was used on. So that's one important thing. Yep. And we we do that when we use the nuclear densometer, we refer to what the make and model of the particular gauge used was. All right. So those were the six main things. And you know my opinion that five are super, super important. So I have a few wrap up thoughts, but anything you wanted to touch on with those six specifics before we start the wrap up? No, but I like after talking about this, I like this episode more and more. I I honestly hadn't thought through all these things that you brought up. So as we've kind of talked through it, I see this being a more important episode than I initially thought. You're you're starting to convince me this was a better episode than I originally thought. I like it. I like it. Well, so one of my takeaways, when he was talking to his daughter about how to write the story. And he said, start wherever you feel comfortable and fill in later. You know, I immediately thought, oh my gosh, that's such good advice because writers get head trash about how do I start this? How do I end it? How do I get all the info out? What do I say at first? And I thought that was great advice of if you're comfortable talking about I was doing a roof review and at one point they were doing this thing. Fine. Start writing the bad thing. That's fine. If that's what you're like, that really stood out. I need to get that out and then come in and fill around it. However, (laughs) however, my advice after years of doing field reports and then turning into a report reviewer is please, if you're going to do this format, you need to step away when you think you're done, write something else or do something else and come back and try to read it with a clear head before you submit it. Because I can tell when people write like this and don't proofread it because it kind of bounces all around and you tell part of the story 
later at the end of the report. And I feel like I'm cutting and pasting to get the order to flow and make sense. So what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of the, the opposite. I, I guess I just think about the way we write and the time, type of information we're trying to capture being very sort of specific. And I feel like you kind of have to follow this format in order to make sure that you're including all the information you have. My fear is that if you just start out in the middle, you're going to miss some important things. And just as you said, you're, you're going to have to have another review of it because you might be mentioning things in different order. Exactly. Like you might be moving paragraphs around. I feel like we have decent enough templates that we can go through and just sort of fill in the information in the spot that it goes. I mean, the type of writing we're not doing, this isn't a creative endeavor. I mean, it's pretty data-driven and factual. So I think following a format sort of forces you to pull out all the important information in the correct order. Whereas, you know, we're not writing a, a novel or a short story where me. Maybe you can do some character development and then come back and do the introduction. Mm -hmm. You know, we have templates too, and I love them. I just do think that sometimes when you get in template mode, like you said, the templates force you to report on all those things. But when something's slightly out of the norm, I feel like it can sometimes be forgotten because we follow the templates so closely. So I guess that's my point. You know, you talked about really good field notes. So make sure you've got the good field notes, have bullets of everything you want to talk about or circle in your notes or highlight in your notes, whatever it is, the key points you want to talk about. And then if you do go through that template, that's great. At the end, look back at your notes and everything you highlighted or circled and say, did I capture these all? Because sometimes with the templates, that's where things can go awry. Yeah, and I think our observations might be more conducive to a template. You guys are looking at so many different things potentially that, yeah, I could definitely see where in your line of work, that would be be a better way or, or something to think about. But great point of going back and looking at your notes after you've written the report to confirm that you captured all the important aspects of that for sure. So can I talk about my, <laughs> even though I said I kind of liked this episode, it's, you know, I didn't, I didn't love the acting and all. Well, the acting was actually good. I think they're executing exactly what they want to execute. For So from that context, it's excellent. But I do have a pet peeve with this episode. Ready to hear it? Oh, for sure. <laughs> this is one of those that will probably get cut and end up on the chopping room floor. But this is a pet peeve of mine. So in the episode, when he's talking to his daughter... He says, now, is it Miss Doherty or Mrs.? Yeah. And the daughter says, Miss, but she's engaged. Are we serious here? <laughs> I mean, okay. All right. So listen, it it's a personal pet peeve of mine that women have to like be identified by their title by whether they're married or not. That's a personal pet peeve, right? But that's fine. That aside, why does it matter? And honestly, it's nobody's business. I've reviewed reports from my field staff where they say Mrs. So-and-so from XXX Construction stated blah, blah, blah. And I see that. And every time I'll call and say, are you sure she's married? Well, yeah. no, I don't, I, I don't know. I just assumed. 
then just leave it out. Let's just go with Ms. Because that's a little thing that can really irritate somebody. If you are making an, an assumption about their personal life in your written report, it just doesn't belong in business in my mind. So I did not like that they went there with this specific example because I don't think it belongs in our writing. Any thoughts? And I know I'm throwing you under the bus on this one. Well, I agree. And we generally just use first name, last name. We don't differentiate. But one instance where to me this is important is we were writing a, pr- a proposal. I have had plenty of email exchange with this person, but the first name was Kim. So in my mind, it's a female, but fortunately, I did a little bit of Googling and found this person on LinkedIn, and it was a man named Kim. And then since then, I've encountered another man with the name Kim. So yeah, in in that case, I guess it doesn't matter. I mean, you're addressing it to Kim so-and-so, and so that doesn't matter. But in general, we just use first name, last name to avoid having to even think about that. Oh. You West Coasters are so much more progressive than the Midwest people. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it might be the timing for when this was prepared, right? I mean, this this was done a a while ago. So there's been a lot recently in the last couple of years specifically about how people want to be addressed, right? I mean, it's very common now to see things in people's email signatures about pronouns and things like that. And that's going beyond, you know, miss and misses. But I think it's just, it's something that looking back, it's, I think it's one of those things where it's easy to, to criticize, but at the time, was that more common? I don't know. Okay. So point taken on the episode and I'm good with it. And honestly, like we've talked before, I think GBA nailed it with these. They did a great job to write this and get actors and execute. I think it's all exceptional. I think in the end, for me, my whole point is it's not what somebody wants to be called. It's if you're going to do that, don't get it wrong. You better know you're right. If you're going to say misses, because If she's not a missus and she reads that and says, you don't even know me and you're putting the wrong title in front of my name, that's just going to irritate that person. And that's the last thing that we need in our industry is to irritate our clients. So would you just use Ms. in all instances? I mean, why why differentiate then? Yeah, I just use MS for everything. Yeah. You know what, though? That led me to an interesting thought. You said you don't put titles. We actually do. Just like they said, the first time we mention somebody, we will say Mr. or Ms. or Mrs. if we absolutely know they're married, right? So we do put that the first time. And then from there, we may refer to them just by first name or by that initial Ms. and then their last name. So that's interesting You guys just say first name, last name? Yeah. So I'll say I met with Jason Petronic from Rhymers and Jewel Event on site. And then then every time after that, and this doesn't follow follow the the model DFR that, that they have, but I'll just use first name after that. One of the things they do in the model DFR, Daily Field Report, is they use initials for people after the initial introduction. So they'll define those initials after they introduce the person. So they'll say Jason Petronic, and then he becomes JP throughout for consistency. So you're not repeating the name. I kind of like that. I want to see an example of that. 
But this is another point. Know your company's style and standard, because as you saw here, his company has a style and standard. Our company has a style and standard. So you need to know what that is so that the report reviewer doesn't have to change it every time. All right. There were four additional GBA resources they have that I thought would be good to include and reference in this episode for people who want to learn more about writing. One is the GBA site. They have a lunch and learn about risky language. So by the way, you're our website star. You can link all these in the show notes, right? Okay. All right. The second one is a practice alert called dealing with absolutes. And it gets into things like all and 100%. That's another good one. There's also the taboo words. Oh, you took the words out of Did my I mouth. steal your thunder? Oh, sorry. Yeah, that is my favorite practice yeah. alert. When I was first working in the field, somehow I stumbled upon that. And I love it. I go back to it every couple of years. So for those who don't know, I think I've talked about it before on this sh- series, but Taboo Words is excellent. It talks about what words we should not use. And I think it gives some alternatives. Like you earlier said exploration, and it made me chuckle because I know that's one thing that GBA promotes is using that word versus some other words. Versus uh, investigation. You see that all the time in geotech reports, it says investigation. And they're like, no, use use exploration because investigation implies a, a level of thoroughness where we're we're not going out there to investigate we're going to explore at these specific locations so yeah perfect that's the kind of thing that's in taboo words and it's very short it's a super short read so it'd be perfect send out to your staff and say hey read through this and then let's come back and talk about a few of these words so i love that one go back to it all the time the last one is an e brown bag webinar called dirty words and i don't know anything about this one but i'm kind of excited to check it out it came up on the gba website when i was looking specifically for report review or sorry, report writing resources. Yeah, that may be similar to taboo words. I feel like I've seen both of those and I don't remember if there was a significant difference. But yeah, I've heard of I've heard of both of those. Well, cool, because one is definitely a written document that's a couple pages and it says the other one is a brown bag webinar. So depending on your learning mode, one may be better than the other. And I believe... We can link those both right back to GBA's website. If people are GBA members, they would get those for free. And if they're not, they would just pay a small fee to get access to that, correct? I believe that's the case. Of course, if they're not members, they should join. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for this episode of GBA's audio education series. We hope you found this conversation valuable and can use what you learned here. Links to the original audio and all the resources we mentioned are included in the show notes. But before you go, don't forget to give us a review, hopefully five stars, and subscribe to the GBA podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes.